Welcome to another episode of the Art of Product Podcast. I'm your host, Derek, and Ben is away on vacation this week, so I'm pleased to be joined by a special guest. She's a UI UX expert, a consultant, host of the UI Breakfast Podcast, writer, and co-founder of userlist.io, Jane Portman. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Derek. Thank you so much for, for being a host. You bet. Yeah. It's great to have you uh, on the show. I think we met the first time maybe a few years ago at microconf and i've been kind of a fan of your of your work and your voice in the community for a while thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here i'm particularly interested to kind of dig into some of the stuff you guys are doing with with userlist so userlist is a as a customer messaging tool targeted at saas companies and i'm sure there's there's a lot we can kind of commiserate over with our kind of shared experiences doing automation things with emails um <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> for that we need to invite Benedict as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll skip kind of the the technical side of things for this time. The product looks fantastic and seems to be like hitting on a on a really nice niche there that a lot of the general purpose tools seem to be missing out on. So I'm excited for you guys. Fingers crossed. Actually, it's it's today that I I changed my Twitter profile to say Userless co-founder first before being a consultant. I'm hoping that will mean something important. <laughs> That's very cool. How much consulting do you do these days versus uh, working on on the SaaS product? I do a bit to keep lights burning, and because I love to. But it's maybe like one third of the time consulting and two thirds everything else. Your other co-founders, are they full-time on the product? Or do they also kind of do... Yeah, we agreed to, to make this a lifestyle business. Not that it's low priority, but we would rather prioritize on important things, make it slow, steady, and quality, but keep consulting revenue on the side because that's what we do as a craft. Is the goal to eventually replace consulting with uh, with SaaS recurring revenue? You bet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, the holy grail. I'm interested to hear just kind of in general from in your words, like, where are you guys at with the product and what's been kind of challenging you lately? Right. So the challenges are pretty familiar for every SaaS founder, I guess. It's that slow growth rate that's particularly the case with product like ours, which is mission critical for everyone's business. So in order to adopt, it's not like you can impulse buy a book. You have to really kind of refactor your business processes, make a decision to focus on customer messages, et cetera, et cetera. So the adoption largely depends on people's circumstances, not us. On the other hand, the stage of the product is really great. I'm happy where we are. And I'm also happy that we're not overbuilding at the moment because we've been we've been doing this positioning exercise that has gained a lot of focus uh, in the community. And we, we decided to stay focused and we decided to call ourselves a custom messaging tool, which instantly helps us to prioritize the right features to build and what not to build, which is key. So I'm really excited about keeping it clean, albeit, of course, adding new features and improving on the existing ones, but to not just like do feature creep all over the place. <laughs> so you guys recently published a blog post that I highly recommend everyone checking out, um, where you kind of walk through April Dunford's playbook, right? Kind of the 10 steps to 
to working out um, your positioning. That ties in with with a um, kind of conversation that Ben and I have been riffing on lately about product roadmaps. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this. On the one hand, some people would say that ultimately money talks and like your product roadmap should be kind of dictated by the people who are coming in the door paying money for your product. Like those are the people you should really be listening to to, to steer the product. And then on the other hand, other end of the spectrum, perhaps there's there's companies like uh, like Superhuman comes to mind because we just spoke with Rahul, where you know he's very tightly focused around this vision that they casted and said like this is what the product is is good at and what it's going to do, and we're going to proactively try to keep anybody who doesn't align with that vision try to keep them out of the product actually and like only let people in the door who really tightly align with that. And I guess that's probably a spectrum between, you know, on extremes on either end, but I'm curious like how how do you guys think about setting your product roadmap in light of that? That's a great question. And that was also a great episode. Rahul is like uh, Johnny Ive of uh, of SaaS. He's so charming and uh, vision driven and stuff like that. So in our case, I guess we've been lucky in that regard that feature requests from the customers have been super reasonable and they actually align with our internal roadmap very much. So uh, we have that kind of product vision and a board of features. Some of them are enhancements. Some of them are um, things that we will tackle later, such as mm, like the biggie is uh, company support. Like it's not what everyone needs, but a lot of businesses very much rely on company accounts. And we want to help them uh, do that with our, like, uh, customize the roles and do things like that. And that's pretty hard to implement from a technical standpoint. So we keep delaying that off. Another big direction we want to pursue is uh, in-app messages. That is like little pop-ups, but not chat, not chat, like (laughs) not chat as a strategy. So some of these, um, while the customers typically request things that, help them uh, troubleshoot their daily activities, uh, like some uh, statistics, some some other things that we also have on the list. So we'll just, uh, that helps us to move those features a little bit up. Talking about the upcoming launch, we do have just a short, very, very short list of uh, remaining polishing things to be done. But other than that, it's it's really, really good shape. And it can very well deliver value to the founders who adopt it. I just saw a tweet this morning, actually, right before we hopped on this call, that (laughs) you guys had announced that August will be the month that you officially launch. It seems like more and more companies have kind of been doing this this kind of slow launch strategy where you wait, wait a little while and kind of go early access beta, whatever you want to call it, for kind of an extended period of time and then figure out when the right time is to fully launch. Like, how did you guys arrive at the process that you used and then what what made you decide like this is the time to to roll it out well first is everybody asking like why aren't you still (laughs) we're still in beta (laughs) and uh, also we've been in good shape for a while but first we wanted to polish it to be more sure of the quality and uh, i'm I'm kind of proud of the software that uh, we're building because benedict is a brilliant engineer and uh, what we can do together is really something that we can both be proud of on the product side. So that is a factor. And we delayed the launch as much as we could so that no critical issues arise. On the other hand, that's been kind of hurting our reputation because not hurting, but people would probably rather trust their critical business mission to someone who's out of beta. (laughs) 
<laughs> that in a single sentence kind of sums it up. Uh, so we would really need to find a date and, and call it a day and say we are out. That That's it. But we're not hoping that it's going to be 500 new customers in day one because we, we've seen patterns, like I, I said before, people are waiting for the right time in their business, not for the product hunt launch on our side. <laughs> yeah, I found that like a lot of times... The big splashy launch, it produces, can produce a lot of hype, it can be a good marketing opportunity, right? But at the same time, it generally lets in a lot of, uh, a lot of looky-loos and people just kind of curious about what's this new thing and they're not necessarily really in the market for a new tool right now, right? Totally, totally. You guys have been particularly good at talking to your customers. Like that's something I feel like I, I see coming a lot from your team. And I think a lot of people agree that that's that's an agreed upon best practice that you should be doing. I see a lot of founders getting hung up on how to actually solicit these kinds of conversations and get actual real value out of them. What does your process look like for for generating these conversations and, and how do you run them? What kind of questions do you ask? Yeah, so we had two major rounds of customer conversations. One was pre-product when Claire personally interviewed probably in the range of 20 founders about the problem that we were about to solve. So she uses a job to be done technique to do that. And we have a large blog post about that. Uh, so we could probably link to that. But the most uh, revolutionary round, though, was the round of demos, so-called, that we did this year when we opened up beta access. And we only allowed the access to the app after they have a call with us. And we had a lot of those calls. And that was so great in terms of customer insights, in terms of team building, because we did a round robin, but at the same time, we tried to be present at the call more than one person at once. So it would be two or three people at once meeting someone else and asking them questions about their business and learning. And that was a fantastic experience. I guess our key recipe is to just, well, just talk less is number one. <laughs> That's pretty universe for every interview. But for our demos, they were called demos. And the actual demo part was very small. Instead, in the very beginning, we would spend like half an hour, but usually longer, just learning about their SaaS business. And you, you can imagine every founder is so passionate to share. Also, there's so much trouble in that area of email automation that... If you just touch upon uh, problems in that area, you can discuss those problems for <laughs> minutes and hours uh, <laughs> in one sitting, seriously. So in many situations, one hour was clearly not enough to uh, listen to all problems. And those problems, they're like product mining gold for us uh, because that's what we are there to solve and that's what we can address in our product. As opposed to the tools that they're using, they've been using, they've been building and things like that. Did you guys put up a landing page early on and start gathering emails? And that's how you like found your initial potential customers to talk to? Yeah, the website, uh, one page with the features and a little about page was up from day one. That's like a year and a half ago. So we've been slowly collecting signups. We've also been sharing a lot of updates and stories with our mailing list, more like in the personal tone. So there's been a little audience around that too. So that was round one. And then then you mentioned that you guys started doing demos, right? And that was another kind of source of uh, customer conversations. Yeah, the demos are like 
what I just described were actually demos. So that is when you learn about the business and then you spend like five minutes showing the features. And what's interesting, a lot of people have arrived there at the demo having already watched some of our recorded videos. So they didn't particularly need to be walked through. They just wanted to maybe answer some questions specific to their business. Kind of jumping back to the upcoming launch, how are you guys thinking about your strategy around around executing that? Is it product hunt? Is it hacker news? Is it what does your plan look like? Do you have a recipe how to affect uh, hacking news? Because we don't. It's not a reliable strategy. (laughs) So that's probably going to be a classic product hunt launch. And uh, we discussed several potential scenarios uh, with uh, Claire and Benedict, ranging from should we launch something special to celebrate, maybe a services package, maybe should we launch like an additional freebie to encourage people to stay on our list. We need to mention that we already have a freebie on our site, uh, which are worksheets for people who would like to plan stuff. So that's that's already in place, which is great. Uh, but we were discussing maybe we should like launch something grand. And then ultimately, we decided that our strategy would be just super straightforward. And it's always great to have clarity about what you're launching. So we'll be just telling the world that we're out of beta. That's the message we want to convey. And uh, everything else people can learn from our website. Yeah, and I think something that uh, Ben and I have also talked about too, and I, I know he's been thinking about this with Tuple, it's like you build up these pre-launch email lists. There's people waiting to get access to the product. And then you publicly launch, people can sign up, you notify the list, then it's like, then what? How do you keep that train rolling? So do you guys have, have you been thinking about like how to continue building up those flywheels of, of getting you know traffic to your website and, and prospects coming through the door? And you have anything in particular that's working well for you that you want to talk about? We're having high hopes uh, for podcast appearances, and uh, we will probably do some webinar collaborations a little bit down the road when the uh, the dust settles down after the launch. And we do have uh, something up our sleeve in regards of done-for-you services. Maybe we will be offering a package. Just saw a tweet from Brennan Dunn saying, like, uh, doing done-for-you uh, setup for right message has been a great step. So maybe that could be useful for us as well, because it's no easy feat to plan your uh, customer onboarding emails and the, the entire journey and all these uh, variables that you need to track. So maybe people will appreciate that. So that could be another mini launch of its own. And uh, a lot of other marketing opportunities waiting for us. We'll see how it goes. But we're hoping secretly for product-led growth because the customers that we're gaining it's not a huge number, but it's really exciting to see that there are some really raving fans who are loving our concept. And uh, their word of mouth is worth much more than like any paid ads or anything like that. <laughs> Getting people referring to others is, is definitely a powerful growth channel if you can foster that. Definitely so. And we've been talking about all of this in the community for a while. So there's got to be a time when it starts to snowball, I hope. <laughs> You're a UI UX expert. I'm curious to hear what trends in in the world of design, product design, need to die. Oh, you caught me off guard. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to talking about design. <laughs> <laughs> the I think generic illustrations really need to go. It's not even funny anymore. And there is a Twitter account by 
Eli Schiff, a famous critic. It, it's called uh, Humans of Flat Design, where he collects <laughs> these generic illustrations. I've seen that. Yeah, that's hilarious. I, I'm with you on that one. It's. Um, I feel like the first time I saw it was maybe a few years ago. Some companies started mixing in the illustration stuff, and I was like, oh, this is this really softens the feel of the website makes it feel less sterile and now now that it's everywhere uh it's it quickly has been overused i feel like yeah and now the sterile website will kind of <laughs> stand out because it's so <laughs> clean and doesn't have any cartoons in it right 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 what kind of ux challenges uh have you encountered in building building out user list oh well i guess the Limited development time, limited resources. It actually, we just had a conversation about this today, and it's great that we do have conversations like that because I would love to jot down as many fantastic ideas as possible, and it would take me a couple hours to do that, but it would take Benedict way longer to build it. So I kind of limit myself, and I'm very protective of his time, so I'm not bombarding him with any of that. And we just noticed that there is a backwards trend that uh, he's experiencing a lack of uh, inspirational design for, for me uh, because I just, oh, we do have a roadmap and if we kind of know what the features look like, there is no need for uh, particularly like me coming in Figma and doing things. So we had this conversation that we should have more wild, creative, inspiring layouts <laughs> and then <laughs> we can execute upon them uh, should there be time uh, for it. You mean like email email templates or um, just like designs, uh, whatever that means. The actual screen layouts that they can be later translated to live code in the product. Because <laughs> in the beginning, it all was put together. The actual design was put together pretty fast, and then we just were slowly building up on that, and it was quite thrilling to see those features from the original design to appear like gradually over time. So have you gotten any demand yet for, for a visual email builder? That's not now a roadmap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably a good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're doing it super lean and we're hoping to keep it that way with the focus on content. Well, we'll see maybe in five years we'll be mega monster of the features, but not right now. Yeah, that's that's smart, and I think it's. Uh, so I remember that uh, we had we had demand pretty early on. I mean, people always ask about it, you know, and at Drip, I remember because you know people are coming from Mailchimp or some tools like that, traditional email marketing tools where it's all it's all visual and uh, like. Fortunately, uh, and this still holds true today, you can you can always say like you know plain text emails convert better because they feel more natural, right? But yeah, I, I still re remember getting that request and and always. Uh, kind of dreading the day when we would have to do it. Ultimately, we did do it, but it's it's not <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> I figure since you're building a tool based around email, you've probably heard before from people. I tend to hear this from from technical people like, "Oh, you're building a tool that sends spam." And uh, <laughs> I, I always it was always a fun conversation to explain that this is opt-in only and this is this is not spam, but it's true that there's still a lot of people out there who are who are using email in ways that are probably not optimal or or just not not a great experience. So, how do you guys think about like educating people on on how best to utilize the medium? It's great that you put this angle to this question because our first goal, like frontline goal is to educate people on how to best 
use this media to serve their business, uh, while the other type of education could be on the ethical practices, which is a whole nother topic. And uh, we would love to talk more about that as well. While for today, the frontline problem is also <laughs> very much in question. So we're trying to help people figure out that their customer journey, what they should be tracking and how that relates to what they should be sending. For example, one of the key things that we try to advocate for is that behavior uh, data uh, should be used to not trigger stuff, uh, but mostly to reduce the amount of email that you're sending, which is an interesting way to think about it. Because when you uh, hear behavior based in your brain, you're instantly thinking like, hi, I saw you created your first project. Well, that's not... (laughs) the type of email that you'd want to be sending. And uh, in return, you should be, while the person is creating a new project, you should be like clicking in your mind and in your system, like, oh, I know I can omit this message. I can skip on this, on that, and just like leave them alone basically with their success. So how do you go about executing on that on that education, right? Because it's kind of, I know how difficult it can be to get users to actually, you know, consume documentation or read emails. So like, what's your what's your go to strategy for getting transferring that information into the minds of your customers? Your go to strategy is to (laughs) surround them in the ocean of information. (laughs) (laughs) We do have uh, a number of formats that people can consume that we're trying to participate in some educational activities. But as we know, education is like a Preaching is the least effective way of teaching people to do things. So uh, to make people actually do things, we have uh, worksheets on our website, which is like a 12-page questionnaire where you can uh, print things out and start brainstorming what you can send to your people, like what kind of campaigns or what kind of individual messages, maybe write something down and uh, then you can kind of backwards plan what data you need to track in order to to inform all these activities. So we're hoping that can encourage them. And we have um, full text templates that Claire has pulled together. That's been living in our knowledge base and also it's incorporated in the actual product. So when you create a campaign within the uh, product, you can like, just click and it will pre-populate it uh, with uh, a few messages in a campaign template. Some people say that it feels magical and that's wonderful to hear. Our hope is that people will see at least one point of contact somewhere and get inspired because that's one of the other observations is that we can't really enforce people adopt our product. We can either wait until it hurts really bad or the other path forward would be to strike their inspiration with some examples and blueprints and planning things. So maybe that is effective. We don't know. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see how it works out. But it's it's a lot of resources that we spend on that direction. I wrote one of these for Level and then pretty much any product I build, I it's one of the first things I think about is like the post sign up follow up sequence, nurturing people into, you know, starting to use your product and getting to that minimum path to to awesome, right? Where they actually start succeeding with the product. Have you found any patterns of like an optimal cadence or number of emails to send to people throughout throughout that kind of initial setup time? I think this is largely unique to a product. 
But um, something in the range of, uh, let's say there is a two-week uh, free trial. In our understanding, maybe three to five emails received in that period would be optimal. It depends on their engagement again. But it's super important to send an honest uh, heads-up message before the trial expires. And our software can help you do that. And the, the initial activity depends on if, if the user needs or doesn't need uh, your hand, essentially. So in the unsuccessful scenario, they would receive all five messages saying like, let's schedule a call. Hey, you're still not tracking anyone. It's two weeks in, let's schedule a call, um, stuff like that. But if you're um, enthusiastic about the product, you'll just get a couple uh, educational emails in the beginning and that's about it. What other types of important like essential emails are there besides the, besides the trial follow-up? Great question, because usually uh, the email associates is really closely knit with the onboarding idea. You can do a lot of great things. You can um, you can sell people on different things like annual plans. Uh, you can check with you can celebrate uh, different touch points, uh, little anniversaries with the product. Uh, we're also planning to introduce recurring campaigns, which would you allow you to maybe generate uh, some monthly reports saying like this month you've been with us uh, that's that's been lovely <laughs> here's what happened and things like that so there's a lot you can do to increase customer loyalty and uh, the best way to approach that is just by being a human and thinking like what kind of human message would they like to receive or would they rather not really <laughs> yeah i love that that's kind of my approach with with setting up automation like obviously being being in a position of someone who's thought a lot about automating emails and stuff like I, I used to be very quick to try to like set up campaigns for every little thing and I found that it's actually been been really nice to do do a lot of these types of emails by hand at first when the volume's really low and and you don't have to think really about scaling it that much and then you know kind of seeing what what resonates what what kind of messages do people really really like seeing at, at different times and stuff and then and then later on figuring out like how to put that into an automated sequence, but really trying to emphasis on keeping it feeling like I just authored the email to them. Yeah, but still, uh, one thing that um, it's probably our opinion, you shouldn't really be pretending that you're sent from iPhone kind of message. Yeah, I totally. mean, we all know how this, uh, how this is all... <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've actually put in some emails like, yes, this is an automated email, but... The reply to email email address really does go to my inbox and I'll respond to you if I'm if I'm sending it that way. You know, if it's going to a support email inbox, I might might not put that this is going to my personal inbox because that that wouldn't be quite honest. But but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I like pretending trying to fool people into thinking that it's sent by hand is is probably not the best these days. Yeah, the field is so saturated that, um, you know, the only possible path forward we think is being genuinely helpful and uh, empathetic to your users. Like the kind of idol that comes to mind is Paul Jervis with his uh, trust-based marketing. And he does send automated uh, dispatches every Sunday. We all know it's a newsletter, but it feels personal just because he's a, you know, he's a nice human being and being a nice human being is important at all stages. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't fabricate that trust. You have to earn it and you have to build it up over time. And it's, you know, just jumping right into, you know, f f falsely 
familiar um, automated campaigns won't necessarily get you there. You got to you got to put in the hard work. Definitely so. Anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap up, Jane? I think we're good. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited that you guys are are going to be launching next month. I'll be waiting to see to see the rollout and cheering you guys on. And congrats for making it to that stage. Thank you so much. Uh, it means so much to be here. Uh, and I can't wait for uh, for another episode with you uh, at your breakfast podcast so they can share your story. <laughs> totally looking forward to, to being on the show. Where can people keep up with you online? The best place, of course, is our website, userless.io. And like we said before, we have a ton of stuff in there that's supposed to be genuinely useful. So do subscribe and do follow our journey and the, and the materials that we have in place. Well, cool. Thanks so much, Jane. Show notes for this podcast can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. And we'll see you next time.